Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, that it's alive and that it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. God, we pray that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, you've spoken by your word. God, I desperately need you to speak through me today. God, let this be your word. Let it not be mine. Father, speak directly to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, we're still walking through Matthew. For those that are just joining us, this is what we do. We walk through uh, the Bible. And so we're still kind of at the tail end of the Christmas story. Um, we'll be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Uh, short bit of scripture, big, huge ramification. Stick with me. This is going to take a while to get through. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And there were until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying out of Egypt, I called my son. Everybody wants to belong. Every single one of us. And people that say that they don't want to belong are usually people that have just been rejected and are being self-preservating. We were made to be in community. And so when people begin to say, I don't want, I don't need to be a part of anything or whatever. A lot of times just from hurt from their past, because they tried to be a part of something and they weren't able to be a part of something, whether it be a team or anything else. Uh, God did not create us to be individuals. He created us to be in community. Um, You'll notice as we go through scriptures together, I use a lot of scriptures. And the reason why I use a lot of scriptures is because I do not want you to believe that I'm sharing with you my own thoughts. I want you, I want to share with you God's thoughts and God's word. And so if you're like, gosh, this guy uses a lot of scriptures, it's because I want you to throughout the week and all of my sermons are online. Uh, and, and you might disagree with what I say or how I say it, but I've spent a lot of time uh, trying to make sure that it all connects to scriptures because I do not want to give you my own thoughts. I want to give you God's thoughts. Uh, and so when I talk about us being in community, this is a backdrop of first Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Ephesians four sixteen, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Colossians 1.18, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Today we're just going over a very small nugget of scripture that has huge ramifications. And it's a, it's a prophecy from Hosea 11 that the writer Matthew is connecting to Jesus and, and showing us what God means about the nation of Israel, Jesus, and the church. And, and for me, I've been a lot, I, I've been a part of a lot of things in my life. I've been part of schools and sports teams and uh, part of the military and, and, and uh, other organizations. There's never been anything uh, that's been more important to me than being a member of Christ church uh, at all. And, and let me say this is that when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the global church, people that love Jesus, follow his word, all those churches. Okay. People get this thing twisted. When I start talking about the church, I think faith and victory is the only church on the planet. It's a lie from the pit of hell. I I know, I know a ton of pastors and a ton of churches. I know there's a bunch of great churches that believe and love Jesus. Okay. I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about our church. Amen. Um, when, when I was a kid, I remember I was at Nordstrom's mall at the, uh, at, uh, excuse me, I was at Nordstrom's at the Northgate mall. 
And I wanted to share the gospel with everybody. And I remember there was this older gentleman that I met underneath the stairs by the shoe section uh, near the piano player. And, and, and I just remember it so clearly uh, because I was trying to share Jesus with him. And he said he believed in Jesus and he said he was a Christian, but he kept talking about the church and how much he loved the church and how much he was a part of the church. And in my young bravado and lack of intellect, uh, it frustrated me because to me, uh, I was like, well, you're talking about the church. You're not talking about Jesus. And what I really missed when I was young and I didn't have the, the, the measure of uh, discernment that I have now is that Jesus is the church. Yeah. And then when you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about his body. Um, and, and so today we're going to, we're not going to meander. We're going to run through a ton of scriptures. Uh, please stay with me to the end because it'll all make sense. Uh, this is more of a teaching than a preaching. Uh, and, and I'm not you know, that's just not usually what I do. But as I start to go through it, I just have to teach it because I don't want you to believe anything that's not biblical. And I've got to explain it so you know that it comes from God. So here's the end of it before I show you how we got there. Okay. The end of it is this, is that the nation of Israel is now found through Jesus and his church. That's the whole entire sermon. And so we're going to walk through it. And I'm going to show you why that is. Um, because when Matthew said out of Egypt, I called my son, it wasn't something that was, he said lightly. It meant a, a whole lot to the Jewish reader and the Jewish lis- listener, how they viewed the, the nation of Israel and how we should view Jesus and his church. Amen. So let's walk through it together. So uh, let, let's start here at the beginning of this scripture. And, and you're going to hear this a lot over the, uh, the coming months and years as we walk through Matthew. Remember, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And as he's writing to a Jewish audience, he's going to use prophecy a lot. He's always going to be reaching into the Old Testament and bringing it in to Matthew because uh, he wants to prove to these Jewish people that Jesus is Messiah. He wants to prove to them that he is the chosen one. And, and so when he draws back to Old Testament prophecy, it's not just because it like makes him look cool or smart. He's trying to tell them something to believe. Uh, <clears throat> Jewish people, very smart, very uh, intellectual, spent a lot of time in the synagogue studying the scriptures. And so when Matthew uses the scriptures, uh, it's, it's because this audience understands what these scriptures mean uh, much deeper than uh, anybody else. So when Jesus... Uh, was born, Jesus fulfilled so many different prophecies. I mean, uh, uh, Jesus was born of a virgin, fulfilling um, Isaiah 7, 14. He was born in Bethlehem, fulfilling Micah 5, 1. He was sought out to be killed by Herod, fulfilling Jeremiah 31, 15. He was preceded by John, preparing the way, fulfilling Isaiah 40, verse 30. He healed diseases, fulfilling Isaiah 53, 4. He spoke through parables, uh, Psalm 78, 2. He came to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. Those are just a handful of scriptures that show you that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, but there's literally hundreds of them. There's hundreds of these Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfills. And this prophecy that we're talking about today in Hosea chapter 11 is an Old Testament prophecy that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so when Matthew speaks out of uh, Egypt, I called my son, he's drawing on that Old Testament prophecy to let the Jewish listeners get it in their head who Jesus is and what it means to them as the nation of God. Now, Using this Hosea 11 is more than just a simple reference to Egypt. Um, if you're anything like me, uh, a lot of times I read my Bible without studying it or paying attention. Yeah. Do you guys ever do that? Yeah. Plow through five or 10 chapters and you get to the end. You're like, what was that all about? Like, what, what did I just read? Please tell me I'm not the only one. Okay, you guys need Jesus. Because um, I do it too. And, and, and I'll tell you, until I slowed down this week, and actually this is why I love uh, going through the Bible slowly. I never really thought about this. I never really thought about the scripture. I just read it over because it's not that exciting. 
Jesus goes to Egypt, out of Egypt, I call my son. It kind of lends itself to like, well, you know, maybe he just had to go across the border and stamp his passport. And then he can say like, yeah, I came out of Egypt. It's a lot more uh, deep than that. It's not that simple. Uh, and, and this is really a distinction to understanding all of scripture. There's no filler here, right? When a, when a Bible uh, writer writes something in the Bible, he's not padding, padding the number. You know, if you've been to college and it says we need a thousand word essay, and then at the end, you kind of like just say another dumb couple sentences to like get to that thousand words. You guys do that too? Great. This isn't what Matthew does. This, was, this isn't what Bible writers do. Bible writers uh, always are saying something that means something. So Jesus is Israel and Jesus is God's son. Uh, Jesus is Israel and Jesus is God's son. Remember, Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience. And, and at the, going back a little bit into Matthew chapter 1, chapter 1 of Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus. The, the very first words in the Greek uh, are Biblos Geneseos Leso Christu. And what that means is the book of the Genesis of Jesus. So as the Jewish listener understands Genesis as the beginning of the people of God, uh, Matthew is writing to them and saying, this is the beginning of the Genesis of Jesus, the Savior, Jesus the King, Jesus the leader. And so throughout this sermon and throughout the Bible, there's so many parallels between Israel and, and the church, Israel and Jesus. And, and, and that's why, and you'll hear me say this many times, partly because I love to poke the bear is that there was a, a famous preacher that said, you should detach your faith from the old Testament. And I think you should connect your faith to the old Testament. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so whenever we see the, the Bible, it all just mixes together. It's all one story. It's not anything new under the sun. God has been trying to speak to us for million, excuse me, thousands of years, um, and now we have it all together, and so we're able to see how God was planning stuff out from the beginning of, uh, of time. Uh, the same parallel to Genesis being the beginning of God's work on this earth with I- Israel is the parallel of Jesus beginning his work uh, with God's people as a new Israel. Uh, Jesus is the new Exodus. Th- this connection, and, and stick with me, when Jesus goes into Egypt, right? He goes into Egypt. It, it's not just merely a, 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 a a move of location. It's a move that is signifying to a to a, a Jewish audience what it truly means, because the Jewish mind is always connected to the nation of Israel. The Jewish mind is always connected to the large stories that flow throughout uh, that flow throughout uh, Judaism. And so, when Jesus goes into Egypt, he's connecting with the bondage that Israel experienced under the hands of Pharaoh. So, when Matthew says, "Out of Egypt, I called." my son. It's not just merely he went there and came back. He went there uh, as symbolically as saying to the nation of Israel, I'm going to Egypt as you were in Egypt and that you were in bondage. And now Jesus is going to be delivered out of Egypt in the same way that Israel was delivered out of Egypt. When Hosea says, and Matthew echoes out of Egypt, I called my son. There's such deep meaning past just being in a location. It's letting them know like Jesus is Israel. Jesus is going, he didn't go to another country. He went to Egypt to, to connect with the Jewish reader and the Jewish listener to say, Jesus is connecting with Israel. Jesus is connecting with you, Jewish audience. Jesus is Israel. 
I mean, Jewish people celebrate the Passover, remembering this exodus of evil, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Jesus goes into Egypt and comes out and, and, and says, I am the Israel. And soon after this birth of Jesus, he goes in symbolically into Egypt and then comes out of Egypt in the same way that Israel came out of Egypt. Uh, watch this. Egypt comes out of bondage and they pass through the Red Sea and that Red Sea becomes a baptism of sorts for Israel where they're baptized into Moses. Jesus goes into Egypt and then he comes out of Egypt and the first thing that happens is he gets baptized by John the Baptist. The nation of Israel goes out of baptism and then they move into 40 years in the desert. Jesus comes out of his baptism and he goes 40 days in the desert. I mean, come on now. There's notes are online. Don't worry. There's a reason why in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10... 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Jesus Christ. How can you you disconnect Israel from Jesus? The story of God is through the whole entire thing. And people think that, oh, well, God's doing a, a, a completely different thing. No, God is continuing what he started. Yeah. And so, so, so when we go into Egypt and then Jesus comes out, there's so much that is being said to the Jewish listener. Yeah. And this brings us to that Hosea passage in, in Hosea chapter 11. Watch this. When Israel was a child, this is God speaking. Hosea's prophesying, but it's God speaking. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And I, and out of Egypt, I called my son. That's God calling his son, the nation of Israel. He's saying, I'm calling you out. He's not saying it's an individual. He's saying, this is my nation. I'm calling him out. As they called, as they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carved images. That was their rebellion. I taught Ephraim. That's another name for Israel. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them, those who take the yoke from their neck, I stooped and I fed them. This word picture of God and the nation of Israel is not just like, oh, it's a nation. Hosea is saying, this is my son. I, I stooped down and I, I grabbed my son and I loved my son. My son was rebellious, but I grabbed him out of, out of Egypt and I drew him and I loved him. I wanted to be in relationship with him. It's not simple. God's redemptive plan began with Adam and Eve when they, when they, when they were rebellious and they, sin came into the world and God said, what am I going to do? I've got to create a people. I've got to create a nation. I've got to create a group of people. And so from the beginning of time, he began to lay out this plan to, to bring Jesus into the world. Promises to Abraham fulfilled by Jesus. Promises to Isaac and Jacob and David that God will redeem and that God will bring a king and that Israel will reign and that there'll be a great nation. And this this idea is rooted and connected in sonship, in offering, in adoption, in the family of God, that they're they're all interconnected. 
Israel was God's chosen people and, and the nation of Israel was God's nation. And, and from the beginning, God had a redemptive plan that could only be executed through Jesus. Because Israel is not sinless. Israel was rebellious. Israel was wicked. Israel did bad things. And so God's plan of redemption could not be fulfilled in Israel. It's impossible because uh, sinless, uh, excuse me, sinful things cannot save. And so God knew that. And so he set up this plan to say, you know what? I'm going to show them what a nation looks like, show them what a rebellious people looks like. And then I'm going to send my son so they can see what true sonship looks like, what true obedience looks like. I want them to see what it was out of Egypt. I called my son. I called my nation. I'm calling Jesus, my nation out of Egypt and saying, this is Israel. This is my son. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Galatians 3.16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. But God would call Israel his son. Exodus 4.22, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. This Israel is my son is directly connected to Hosea 11.1 1 that says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The Exodus 4.22, thus say to the Lord, Israel is my son. Israel is not merely my nation, it's my son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He only begot one son. His son was Israel. And Jesus is the embodiment of Israel, has his only son. God didn't have two sons, he had one son. His one son was Jesus. And Jesus is Israel, and Israel is Jesus. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Israel is my son, my firstborn. Israel was God's son and Jesus is God's son. And when Matthew says out of Egypt, I called my son, he's connecting with Hosea 11.1. He's connecting with Israel. He's showing the Jewish audience and saying, come unto Jesus and be a part of the nation. Come unto Jesus and be part of what God is doing and has done on this earth. Jesus is everything. He's everything. He, he is the true Israel. He is the last Adam. He is the son of David. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the final priest. He's the reigning king. The Bible calls him the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That, that word picture is that Jesus is everything. There's nothing that cannot be found. The Bible says in, in Jesus is the f- fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's what it says because Jesus is the fullness of it all. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He's the full embodiment of what faithful Israel should have been as God's son. Fully obedient, fully submitted. But Israel was not. Israel was disobedient. Israel didn't do what God asked them to do. And God said, I'm going to create a new, fresh Israel. I'm going to call you out of Egypt. I'm going to call you into my son and say, come underneath him. Be submitted to him. Be part of him and be what Israel was supposed to be, fully obedient, fully submitted, committed. Unlike Israel, Jesus committed no sin. He didn't fall like Israel did. They failed God repeatedly. But yet he did experience divine judgment on the cross. 
for the sins of all humanity, not just us, but for Israel as well. He went through exile as Israel did by being in the grave for three days. But yet he restored humanity through the resurrection. See, Jesus is the foundation of a new Israel, but not a new in the sense like the old Israel. I mean, Israel is still Israel, but it is through Jesus. He is the focus of hope for God's people in a new kingdom of Israel, both for the Jew and the Gentile alike. See, what, what, what Israel couldn't do uh, is that Israel couldn't uh, reach out to all races. Israel couldn't reach out to all nations because Israel was a singular nation. And you've heard this many times as you've been a Christian that say, you know, uh, God called a nation and created a nation so he could show to an unbelieving world uh, what, what, a, what a perfect holy nation would look like that would fully submit to God. The, the New Testament example is the church. Where, where the church becomes that living, breathing example uh, to a lost and dying world that says, yeah. this is what the nation of God looks like. Yeah. This is what the nation of God looks like. And the, and the promises of the New Testament scriptures affirm the fact that the inheritance of the New Testament believer is the inheritance of Israel in the kingdom of God. That's why Matthew, all throughout, and we'll see it many times, Matthew talks a lot about kingdom. is because the Jewish mindset was always one of, we need a king, we need a ruler, and we need a kingdom. Yeah. And so the, the New Testament is, the ruler is Jesus, the, the king is Jesus, and his kingdom on this earth is the church. Yeah. That's his body, that's his, that's his nation. Uh, and, and so as Jesus is Israel and God at the same time, he has the power to give the kingdom and its governance to whomever he wants. If he rules the kingdom, he can give that governance to whoever he wants. Uh, look at Luke's uh, twelve thirty-two. Do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's, it's not, when these words go through the Bible, I think we just kind of like glaze over them really fast and just think like kingdom, that sounds cool. But the kingdom is Israel. The, the, the kingdom is God's rule and reign over this earth where God's kingdom would reign. And so Jesus says to his disciples in Luke twenty two thirty that you might eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Why, why would Jesus say that you're going to sit on the throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel if we weren't connected to Israel? They're, they're not executing judgment upon, you know, a, a, an unrepentant nation and, and kicking them out of the kingdom. This is us. This is our kingdom that God says, you know what, you're going to sit and you're going to rule and reign over the 12 tribes of Israel. How, how could Jesus tell his disciples this unless he was Israel and they would become Israel? He wouldn't like, why would he say that? He would only say it because they are Israel and that he is Israel. That's the only way that it works. Matthew 19, 28. So Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the son of man sits on his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You cannot disconnect Jesus and the church from Israel. You can't. If Jesus wasn't God in the flesh and wasn't Israel, he wouldn't give his disciples the power to rule over Israel and become a spiritual Israel. But that's who we are. That's who we are. And if that's who we are, what kingdom are we in and what nation are we in and how should we live? Think about it. If we are the nation of Israel and that's who God has called us to be, then how should we live? Who should we be? How serious of a call should it be upon our lives? 
It's, it's not something that we should just take haphazardly and, and, and think that it doesn't matter. There's huge spiritual ramifications from an understanding to say God has called a nation and that God has called a people and we are called to be that nation and that nation is God's holy church. God's redemptive plan is intricate and weaving. It's why I get so frustrated when people live bumper sticker Christianity. They just think that, uh, that, that understanding God in the church can just be, you know, a meme or a, something on a, a, on a Facebook post. God is so much deeper than that. Are you one sentence? Can I explain you in one sentence? No, you, you've got years and intricacies and stories and all this other stuff. Everything that God wants us to know is through the Bible. This is why Bible study is so important because you begin to see God's story unfold throughout humanity. The church is viewed as the new Israel in scriptures. God was nation building with Israel. He called Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. It's a lie to believe that the church isn't Israel if we're not a nation of God under Abraham, right? Why would God say out of, uh, and then Jesus becomes the seed of Abraham. He told him that many would be blessed through him. Now, Jesus in the line of Abraham through his local church is blessing many people. The, the, the local church is the fulfillment of all the prophecies talking about nations and many nations being blessed. In the same way that God's focus was on Israel, God's focus is on the church. God cares about the world in the same way that he cared about the world in, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God's focus was on Israel. What's going on with Israel? How's Israel doing? And what's Israel going to be? That's where his redemptive story unfolded. New Testament, God's redemptive uh, story unfolds in the church. And when we talk about the rapture and the return of Christ, Christ doesn't say he's coming back for a nation. He says he's come back for a church. We, we are God's redemptive story on this planet. We are his nation. Exodus 19, 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel, that you are going to be a priest and a, a kingdom of me of priests and a holy nation. God wanted a holy nation that would show the world what following God looked like. And this fulfillment of, of Exodus 19.6 is found in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see the connection between Old Testament nation and New Testament nation, how the two of those go together? I'm not saying what the Bible doesn't say. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The two of them go together. Amen. That's the calling of the New Testament church. In the New Testament, when people came to faith, they joined the church. They, they, they didn't have this idea of individualistic, uh, personal Christianity. Galatians 6, 16, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. We are known as the Israel of God, as the local church. That's, that's who we are. That's how we're identified in scripture. And this Israel of God is a called out ecclesia. That's the, the Greek word. It's a, it's a holy body, a nation of God's people that's separate from the rest of the world. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. And this idea of like, I can be an individual that's not connected to the nation is completely and totally unbiblical. God calls a group of people. He treats us as uh, individuals, but he sees us as a group. 
In James 1.1, 1, 1, we're viewed as the 12 tribes. James 1.1, 1, 1, James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. That's how he viewed the church. It's so funny. People say, oh, I don't have to be part of a church. And you hear me say this again. I say it a lot because it's true. <laughs> people say, I don't want to be part of a church. But they want to use the scriptures that were written to the church to justify why they don't want to be part of a church. Can't use Romans. Church of Rome, can't use Corinthians, Church of Corinth, or Colossae, or Galatia, or Ephesus. None of those. Don't use scriptures written to the church to justify why you don't have to be part of a church. You wouldn't even have the New Testament if it wasn't for the church. Do you not understand this? The church created the New Testament. Our church fathers in the second century got together and said, we're going to be a movement. Let's us at the church decide what our canon's going to be. And they picked and they choose and they put them together. Said, boom, canon. They didn't put it together and then scatter around like, hey, you guys make sure you don't ever come to church again. We just created this thing for you. The New Testament belongs to the church. Using his book for your own individualistic rebellion. I'm getting closer to my fried chicken. I'm getting worked up. <laughs> the church is, is in Israel, the nation of God. We should commit to her. Treat her with contempt. The flippant nature in which people treat the church must stop. It's always the same rhetoric. Church is not a building. Duh. Wow. Way to go, Einstein. You come up with that all on your own? I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah, I've been hearing that for decades. The church is deployed. Wherever two or three are gathered, that's where I'm having church. That is the absolute worst exegesis of a scripture ever. People say, well, you know, I went out in the woods. Two or three were gathered. We had church. The, the meaning of that scripture is that Jesus, it's, it's when Jesus is talking about judgment and that an unrepentant sinner in the church. And he says, if one won't listen, bring two. And if two won't listen, bring judgment upon that person within the church. And if two or three are gathered there judging that person, I'm there in the midst of them executing discipline upon the unrepentant sinner. So unless you're out in the woods with two or three people executing judgment on one another in the name of the church, you're not walking out that scripture. Just not. And there's many pastors and churches that use it. Wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them executing judgment. You cannot be the church by yourself. That's, that's, That's a misnomer. It doesn't, it's not true. You cannot be a Congress by yourself. You cannot be a team by yourself. You cannot be a family by yourself. It's not logical. It's just not. The the church is a gathering, a group, the ecclesia, a called out gathering, an assembly of people. It's not individuals. Obviously, come on, man. Obviously, the church is not a building. It's not like this is carpet and wood and drywall and electrical. This, this is just a shell where the church comes in and, and now we're being the church. Yeah. Church, of course the church is not a building. It's like saying the president is the White House. It's not, right? It's like, it's like saying healthcare is a hospital. It's not. You, <laughs> watch this. 
You, you, even now, as you're homeschooling your kids and doing online learning, you're not going to school. You're giving them education. You're, you have to go to a school to be a school. You have to gather together to say, we went to school. You can say, I taught my children individually education, but you didn't go to school. When you put a Band-Aid on your kid after they bleed, you didn't go to the hospital. You gave them some health care. Can't be the church without being a part of the church. And the reality of this rhetoric is that it's just a veiled or overt statement to minimize the importance of the church. Minimize gathering. It's individualistic rebellion and contempt for what is clearly a high value that God places on the gathering of the saints in public to be a visible entity in the world. And people use whatever excuses they need to say, I'm not going to be part of a church. But at the end of the day, I I can't picture anybody in in ancient Israel being like, you know what? I'm going to be Israel, but you guys do your thing. I'm going to be over here being Israel. They wouldn't sign off on that. Like, oh, they're Israel. They just don't want to do what we do the way that we do it. First Peter two, nine, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, last, uh, last year I preached, uh, two sermons that I would encourage you to go back to. One was a glorious church. I talked about Ephesians chapter five and the other one was seven churches and five crowns. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons once and once again, again, I was, I was a little bit fleshly when I was talking to, uh, people online that watch me that don't like me. Um, I don't know why, but they, they watch it so they can pick me apart and then send me nasty emails and tell me how I got it, got it wrong. It's a special thing to be a pastor. I, uh, you know, if me, if someone's saying something I don't like, I just, just like go do something else. But I don't know, I'm kind of special. Um, th- this is a, this is a theme that I, that I want in our church. And, and, and it's so hard because I kick over so many apple carts of things that people believe that are not biblically true. And so when you preach a sermon that talks about Ephesians 5, talking about the love relationship in a man and a woman, a relationship with Christ and his church, and nobody's ever heard that before, and they have this individualistic idol in their lives, man, they get upset when you tear that thing down. And this is that type of sermon, too, where people are like, man, I don't have to do this. I'm like, all right, man, well, find some other Bible to read, but... First Timothy 3.15, if I'm delayed, I write so that you might know how to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. That, that's, a, that's a pretty bold statement about what the church is. The, the Bible doesn't treat the church lightly. You shouldn't treat the church lightly. Can, can someone explain to me how this scripture is an admonition to individualistic living outside of the church? Because I can't find it. Seems to me like God places great value on being a part of what he is doing on this earth. The nation of Israel found in Jesus in his church. A church has elders and pastors and prophets and teachers and evangelists and deacons. It has baptisms and communions. Do you baptize yourself? Do you commune with yourself? Do you disciple yourself? Do you discipline yourself? Worship has serving and fellowship and giving. And then when you're by yourself, do you give to yourself? Time to do some giving. Take it out and put it in this hand, put it in the other. Wow, I'm living out my giving. 
I'm going to serve myself today by eating a bunch of pancakes. How do you disciple yourself and call it an assembly? It just doesn't work. How are we the new Israel and the nation of God when we refuse to gather? We're not. And again, people don't say this from exegesis. They say it from selfishness. They say it from a position of saying, I'm going I'm to hold on to my individualistic, selfish nature to the grave. I'm not going to have anybody control me. I'm not going to have anybody tell me what to do. And that's the wrong heart, man. It just really is the, the wrong heart. When Matthew says, out of Egypt, I called my son, it wasn't to negate or demolish the idea of an assembly, but to institute a new assembly called the church under the banner of Jesus Christ, one for all nations and all races and all people under his covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. To, be, to come out of Egypt is to be delivered as the nation of God in the same way that the nation of Israel was delivered out of favor and the bondage that Pharaoh brought, the church is now delivered out of the hands of the enemy. We're no longer under the bondage of the enemy. We have walked through the waters of baptism. We have spent the time in the desert with Jesus. And now we're walking into that promised land of the full fulfillment of what God always wanted, which was for his people to rule and reign with Jesus to experience the wonderful parts of the kingdom. The nation of God, the pillar and ground of the truth why else would Paul use the language of Romans 2.29? But he is a Jew who is, all, who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. The Jewish part of the Old Testament flows all through the New Testament. You cannot disconnect the two of them at all. You can't. You have to see them together. The language of circumcision and adoption, engrafting, gathering, set apart, called out. It all connects to the New Testament as well. To come to Jesus is to come to Israel with all the benefits and demands of the relationship. To join the nation of God, to join his church is to be joined to what he is doing on this earth. A visible move of God. It's it's why... And again, I'm just being frank this morning. It's why it frustrates me so much when people join a church and then flippantly leave. Because they don't understand the cosmic nature of what it means to be a church. And again, none none of you would expect that I would just magically just disappear from the church one day and you'd never hear anything about it. You guys would literally just like hunt me down with pitchforks, right? But I'm, but I, but I'm a member, I'm a member of this church. This is my church. This is, this is where God has called me to be. This is my, my, my church. Amen. And it's not at the expense of other churches, but th- this is my church. Yeah, this is where I worship God. This is my family. This is my group. This is my nation. I meet other people from other nations of Israel that are all part of the same body and they're committed to their local assembly. In the same way the church in Galatia and Corinth and Ephesus and all those places were committed to their local church. Guys didn't just, you know, Get a Ford and drive over to Galatia and be like, well, I'm done with those guys over there in Colossae. Church is not a club where you just hang out until the drink prices increase. It's not a consumer thing at all. We're not looking for the lowest tire prices. Like that's just not how it is. And, and again, if, if, if you're not a member of this church, I highly encourage you to seek it out. But I, I would also encourage you to be honest about it. Because here's what happens is that um, you know, I haven't changed that much. Uh, I've changed in some ways 
drastically, but mostly of who I am, I'm about the same. And, but some reason people come into our church and think like, well, that guy's been that way for the last 30 years, but somehow I'm going to be the one to change him. <laughs> uh, it could happen. It could happen. I'll take a rebuke and I'll take a connection, a correction as it comes from the word of God. But, I, but I'm not going to hold back from what God's word says. I'm not going to hold back to what it truly says. I'd rather fail honoring God than try to placate people that don't want to know what, words, what the word of God says. I'm just not going to do that. Church is very, very important and God holds it in very high regard. He treats us as individuals, but he sees us as a group. Uh, again, the book of Revelation, Jesus spoke out to the seven churches. He didn't say to the seven people. He didn't say that. Ephesians chapter five, uh, verse 32, I speak concerning a great mystery, but this is Christ and his church. That's why I'm such a huge defense of marriage is because the marriage is a word picture of Christ and his church. Jesus is coming back for his church. Scripture declares it, not individuals. So why would we treat it as a common thing? That's ah, not a big deal. It isn't. Matthew says, out of Egypt, I called my son. And, and the reason why he's saying that is to display to the Jewish reader, God is still married to Israel. God is still in love with Israel, but God is doing this through Jesus. Jesus is the nation. The church is the nation. The church is the body of Christ, right? And that we said, now you are the body of Christ with members individually from whom the whole body and the head of the body, which is the church. Jesus can't be the body and Jesus can't be Israel unless the church is the body of Israel. But as Jesus and the nation of Israel comes out of Egypt and the bondage of the past, through Jesus, we come out of the bondage of our past. Yes. Through Jesus, we come out of the desert of wandering. Through Jesus, we come through the baptism of the sea. And as Jesus comes out of Egypt and Israel comes out of Egypt into the promised land, we walk into the promised land of Jesus Christ. Full forgiveness of our sins, full relationship with the Father. In the same way that Hosea talks about God coming down and picking up his son, God picks us up through his son, Jesus Christ, and loves us and cares for us and desires great things for us. Matthew says, you were Jews in Israel as the nation of Israel. Now you are Christians in Christ, the church. The story of Israel is a story of deliverance and the story of Jesus and his church is a story of deliverance, both for you and me. Together, we are Israel and walk in the same deliverance as Jesus is Israel as we walk in his lordship and submit to it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Man, I hope that connected. All the, uh, all the notes are online. You can go back and I encourage you to do so that you would uh, get this down in your spirit. Deep down in your spirit. Just keep your heads bowed for one second. I want to say one more thing. And I always always mess with my wife because I always say she'd preach praise. It's time to pray. I got to preach pray for a second. Preach praise, you just say one last little thing where everybody's heads are bowed. I'm so defensive of the church because I know what's coming against the church. This this year has been the biggest attack that we've ever seen from a government upon the local church. And it's not going to get easier. And we need to be committed to the church and each other so that we can defend ourselves against a world that hates us. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. You're not a citizen of the nation of God. And you'd like to change your citizenship from the world to Jesus. 
I want to encourage you to do so today. I want you to turn away from your sins and turn towards God. And if you've never made that decision before, this isn't a superstitious, I'm going to raise my hand. It's the same thing. When when you become a citizen of America, you raise your hand and you renounce the citizenship of your former nation. You're no longer a citizen of, of of that nation. You are now a citizen of America. The same thing when you join the nation of God. You say, I'm no longer a citizen of this world. I'm no longer going to follow by their rules or follow their king. I'm going to follow Jesus. He's going to be my king. I'm going to live how he wants me to live. Jesus wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to set you free. He wants to place you in his body. And if you've never made that decision before, if you've never said, I want to be a Christian, I want to be forgiven of my sins, and you need to do that for the first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to become a Christian. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the first time? Hand held out. Now, maybe you've been far from God and you'd say, you know what? I, man, I just been, it's been years. I've been so far from him. I renounced my citizenship, but I need to, I I want back in the kingdom. I'm done living in the world. I've been waiting for a day to come back. Friend, today's your day. And if you've never, or not if you've never, but if it's been a long time since you've uh, reached out to Jesus, a long time since you said, I want to, I want to be in his kingdom. You want to rededicate your life to Jesus? We want to pray with you as well. Is there anybody that needs to make that declaration today? Hand held high. We want to pray with you. Father, we pray that this sermon will go down into our hearts. God, that we realize what a precious thing it is to be called yours, to be in your family, to be in your nation, to be in your church. God, we pray for the global church today. All those churches that love you, that live according to your word, the local assembly, God. Bless those churches. Bless those churches. Father, let them walk in your walk in your truths, God. Keep us all in your grace until your return. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.